0: Morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. I greet you in the name of my Savior. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Bless y'all for being here. Um, let me pray. If you're a student, you know you're dismissed, so get out. Okay. <laughs> <I> forgot. <laughs> Noah, you're going to have to wave at me or something and remind me when I forget I'm old. So remind me to dismiss y'all. Okay. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you this morning that we can gather together as your children and have the confidence that you're here in our midst. I am so truly, deeply happy to be here in this room with you and with your your children, with my family. And I pray, God, that you would make us aware of your presence. I know there are people in this room that doubt your very existence. I think that's fair and reasonable. I think there are others that doubt not that you exist, but that you love them. And I think there are times that that's fair and reasonable to, to about and worry about and wrestle with too but God even when we're wrestling and doubting and afraid uh, you're still committed to our good and at work in our lives and in our midst our doubt does not thwart your commitment to be with your children bless you for that bless you Would you please work in our lives now? Let us hear a fresh word from you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, We're going to be doing a little... We're going to continue this little study that we've been in. We started last week. And we'll talk about another aspect of it today. And then we'll finish up next week. And Just talking about... This idea that God delights in giving His children new things. Brenda, I love what you read. Uh, Lamentations 3, maybe, uh, that God's mercies are new every morning never thought about it I always took that to mean and I think this is true that it's a fresh supply like the manna was new every morning when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness but what if it also means this part that I never thought about what if that also means that the mercies that God has for me today are not just a fresh supply but they're actually mercies I've never experienced before. Not, they're, they're not just another barrel full, but it's a barrel full that I've never experienced before. Now, I don't know. Uh, surely one of those two ideas are right. Maybe both of them are right. Um, but I, just, I was just thinking about that, that what if it's not just a fresh supply, new supply, but a, A completely new barrel full that I've never experienced that are just waiting on me and waiting on you if we're open to receiving them. Um, Again, last week we talked about this idea that God delights in giving us new things. Brenda read that verse uh, from... uh, Uh, Isaiah 43, and so I'm not going to read that one, but I'll read the. I read two other verses to you last week. One was in Jeremiah 18 that I love. It says, God told me, the prophet Jeremiah, to go to the potter's house, and there I saw the potter working at his wheel. But the vessel he was shaping was marred, so he formed it into something new that the potter called good. And God said to me, Jeremiah, O people of God, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Pay attention. Don't miss this. As the clay is in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. That we're literally in the hand of God, and He is making something new in our lives, out of our lives, but He is doing something new. And so the question that I have for myself is, do I believe that and am I looking for that new thing? Am I looking for whatever it is that God's doing that's new? He is at work in my life like the potter Uh, who's holding this clay pot, he's doing something new with it. Do I believe that? And am I open to that? Am I looking for what he's doing new? And then the other verse we looked at last week is in 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. Christopher, thank you for singing that song. Um... I love to tell the story because I'm thinking about that line uh, in the last stanza where it says that the um, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand in glory and I'm going to sing this new, new song. Revelation talks about that, that we're going to sing this new song. But I think the writer of that hymn got it exactly right that at the end of the day, the new things that God has in store for us, both now and in the future, they're new in that they're new for us, but they're not new in that they're the very
1: things that God offered Adam and Eve. Here's a verse. Please. And when in scenes of glory, I will sing the new, new song, T'will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. Yes. That the paradox is that Old is new and new is old.
0: That old is new and new is old. Maybe. No, I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's important, it's important for us to get that. That the new things that God... If you want to know what the new things are that God has for you and for me, we're going to discover them in the lives of those that God has already been at work in. What was He doing In Adam and Eve's lives. What was he offering them? What did they lose. When they told God no thanks. More tragic question for me is. What am I losing. When I tell God no thanks.
1: To your point about the sculpture. um, Real fast. I hadn't told you this story. I have a student this year. Who is a fine artist. Um portrait artist and but she's a sculptress and so she made for a contest this hand I can't even do it this magnificent hand that she had made and the finger was kind of up like that and she'd worked and worked and worked and they were going to put it in all these contests and the, the teacher was so excited and she was so excited and one day another student bumped it and it fell over and broke that finger off that finger that was just the perfect one or whatever um mm. it just broke it off just just clean right there. And so she was heartbroken, just heartbroken, and considered many things to do, just throw the whole thing away, whatever. What she ended up doing was sculpt, because you couldn't go back and fix it. You couldn't put glue it back on or anything. What she ended up doing was making a completely new finger out of wire. It looked exactly like a finger, just a silver finger. Attached that thing to that. Sent that to the contest. Well, it won best grand prize or whatever. Point being, sometimes I think that we're afraid of the new things. We Mm. think that can't be so. Mm. You know, I'm pretty satisfied and everything's not great, but I don't know what the new things are, so I'm just going to sit here. And I think that's how Ryan felt. Mm. And then this new thing was totally different. And flower beautiful, different, broken, but n- made new. It's a good story.
0: No, oh, it's a great story. It, I was telling the worship team when we took the Lord's supper a minute ago to prepare for our service. Made me think of what Saint Francis of Assisi said. Now, he was a. He was a. Straight talker, buddy. He didn't pull any punches. We get this idea that he was petting little animals and being nice and, uh, you know, and all that. And I'm sure he had his moments, but he could be straight now. And uh, he made this statement. He said, um, we hate the new life that God offers us because we're so happy with the old Mm -hmm. life we have. Mm -hmm. Mm. Well, as, as we begin, I say again, the new things that God is offering us are really not new. They're the things that God gave to Adam and Eve and had in store for Adam and Eve, they didn't even know yet. They had not even had enough time, however long that was, to experience all the new things, the new mercies, the new barrels of mercy that God had stacked up for eternity for Adam and Eve. They only... Anyway, you see my point. They're really the old thing, the old, old story. Not, yeah. Second thing that's important for us to remember is that some of the new things that God is offering us we can experience today and some of the things that the new things that God is offering us we won't experience until one day one day when Jesus comes back and makes he restores back uh, all that we have broken back to its original design uh, like Adam and Eve had uh, before the fall. And we're going to talk about those things next week. What are the things that we have to wait for? Uh, yeah, so we'll talk about that next time. Um, oh, one last thing before we get into them. The testimony of Scripture is that the new things that God is offering us You don't see them being little things. When God gives us new things, new life, they're pretty big. It's not like uh, John wanted me to go, wanted me to build a relationship with this lady that he's friends with, and uh, he said, "So you got to go get a haircut." Because she's a hair cutter, and so by getting a haircut, I said I don't. Want, I've already had my yearly haircut. I don't want to have a, hair, a haircut again. He goes, No, you have to go get a haircut so that you can meet this lady and talk to her. And I said, Well, is there any other way that I can get to be your friend? She goes, Well, yeah, you can come help me move. We're going to move her into a new home uh, actually tomorrow. And I said, I'll do that. I'd rather do that than get a haircut. So we're going to we're going to help this lady move tomorrow. Um, but the 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 the, the new things that God is offering us they're not like a trim stop by my shop and I'll give you a trim that's not what God offers, God doesn't offer trims at least I don't see it in scripture God doesn't offer manicures I don't see that in scripture, what I see is when God offers us new things, what He seems to offer are the things He offered Adam, uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah. Let me just jump to the New Testament because that's better. The things God offers, what did He offer the demoniac? What did He offer Zacchaeus? What did He offer Mary Magdalene? What did He offer the woman at the well? What did he offer Lazarus? What what did he offer these people? I don't see any of them getting pedicures. I don't see any of them getting trims. When they received the new things that Jesus offered them and had for them, they were life-changing. So it begs the question, what are these new things that God offers us? Now, today, right now, that that we have, that we could avail ourselves of. I'm going to, I have 21. I'll bet there's many, many more, and I'm going to leave out, or we're going to leave out some, you're going to go, well, you left out the best one. Probably did. Okay, but I've got 21, and we can't even cover that. All right, so we're just going to pick some, and I'm going to mention all of them real quickly, hopefully. Um, the first one that I thought about that the Bible mentions, literally these are things that God says, I'm offering you something new. And one of the things that God offers us that's new is He offers us new hope. New hope. In contrast to uh, despair? despair or dread. Yeah. Uh, a, he offers us a life you ever get up in the morning and dread your day? Your week, your month? But you 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 have no optimism that it's gonna it's, that it's gonna be good, that it's gonna be better.
1: One of my favorite passages, it's a familiar one in Hebrews 11, you know, it's a, it's about faith. Um, but it's also about hope, and there's a, a, a line in there. which was talking about the people who have not yet gone. There's people still uh, on earth. Um, and that, they, that everybody looks to the, toward the future, like, what's next? We all look, like, what's, what's the next thing? Um, but those people with hope look toward the, and wave at the future. I love that. Mm. They, uh huh, they wait. One, one translation says they, they look gloriously towards the future or something, but one of them says that they wave at the future. That's so great. Yeah. Like, that, I'm so ready for you, future. Great. Whereas despair or dread, the opposite, I think is the same. People look toward the future, but don't wave, aren't excited, are afraid. And so it's why we stick with the status quo so often. We know things are bad, but I know this bad.
0: Familiar is... I'm the comfortable in of, this. of the familiar is still better than the risk of something good in the future. Yeah. That's sad, that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That hope is like... You know you're a person of hope when you look in the future and, and say, I, I at least believe it's there. Maybe, maybe I'll start doing like this. You know, come on. Mm-hmm.
0: Hope. I love that idea. Yeah. The the hope that my life is not an accident. My hope that there is something better ahead for me. My hope that my life is not defined by you or anybody else. My hope that my life is not defined by my
1: past. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, uh, as an existentialist, I'm going to say, um, it's, I think that both are a matter of choice. And I know that's awfully easy to say in a comfortable room on a comfortable day. I understand that. But whether I view the future with hope or whether I view it in fear, at some point comes down to making a choice of what I, I choose to look at, what I choose to see.
0: You are right that it's a choice and it's not a choice based upon what's going on today.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Today mm-hmm. can stink, but that doesn't de- me that doesn't automatically determine that I can't have hope that the future's
1: better, and and walk toward it, wave at to, it,
0: because yeah. nobody had a more difficult today than Joe. Nobody had a more difficult today than David. Nobody had a more difficult today than Paul. Their todays, many of their todays stunk. But if you read Job, if you read David, if you read Paul, there was an underlying hope that better was out there... And they were, I love what you said, they were waving at it. They were counting on it. They were moving toward it. It gave them optimism. um, That their life wasn't just an accident, that their life wasn't out of control. Jeremiah 29, you know that very famous passage where uh, the Lord says that the plans that I have for you are good. Their, their plans to give you a hope and a future. a hope. First um, Peter 1 says, "In God's great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through Jesus' resurrection." And Paul said in 1 Corinthians four, We don't want you to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So God offers us, one of the new things that God offers us is hope. Um, He offers us a new relationship with Himself. We can have a different relationship with God than we had before we knew Him as our Savior. The Bible would suggest, and I know some of y'all struggle with this idea that man is born broken, that man is born fallen, that man is born a sinner. I know some of y'all struggle with that. You're just going to have to keep reading your Bible until you stop struggling with it. Um, uh, Or listen to CNN and Fox News and they'll convince you that man's fallen. If the Bible doesn't, those will. Um, But the Bible would suggest that when we are born, we are strangers in our relationship with God, we're alienated. Where the Bible would, would declare pretty boldly that we're enemies, that we're debtors. Remember that parable Jesus told about the, the two, uh, the king and the two dudes that owed him money? Uh, we're debtors. We, we owe this king a debt. We're debtors. We're aliens. We're enemies. We're strangers. But God offers us. A new relationship with Him where we are friends. And if you want to get a glimpse of what a friendship with God from His perspective looks like, read those chapters about Jonathan and David. And the love and the loyalty and the intimacy and the devotion that they had come, come what may. <laughs> Just say that, come what may. David and Jonathan were friends till they died. And better yet, in David's mind, death didn't even stop his friendship with Jonathan. He just said, Well, Jonathan's gone. I'm going to keep being Jonathan's friend by being friends with his grandson. Or, no, his son, not his grandson, Saul's grandson, uh, Jonathan's uh, uh, son, Mephibosheth. God offers us this intimate friendship with Him. Uh, uh, Jesus says in John 15, You are no longer servants and slaves, for now I call you friends. Sounds sort of like the relationship that Adam and Eve had with God before the fall, doesn't it? Where they walked together together in the cool of the evening, every day. I do that, she would say, most days. I say a lot of days. Never With enough. my best friend. We walk in together in the cool of the evening, regularly. And uh, God offers us that kind of intimacy, that kind of friendship. Jesus said in John 14, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I'm in you. And then a few chapters later, he says, my Father loves you, even as he's loved me. Do you hear that intimacy? Do you hear that that closeness? That friendship? Um... That God offers us. It's not just that we're believing in this powerful being up on this throne in heaven. He's offering us this intimate Jonathan David type friendship. That's a new relationship that God's offering me and offering you. Ma'am? Oh. He's offering us a a new king and Kingdom. Um, Shirley and I just finished, tragically, sadly, we just finished this uh, series. series, television series, uh, called the, the Last Kingdom. Um, oh my gosh, it was great. I mean, it was beyond great. It was about, uh, before England became a, a country, and it was divided up into all these little, kingdoms and the Vikings were trying to bust in and take over everything and all that. It was it was great. But one of the themes that ran through that series was how kings treat people. Every every one of the kings. The Angle Angles kings, the Saxon kings, the 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 Danish kings, the Viking kings, the uh, the, the Wales kings, the Scottish kings, they all had these little kings. Every one of them treated their subjects exactly the same way. Just like Washington, D.C. and our kings. Just like the kings of England today. The dictators, the kings, the primes and ministers, the presidents, Nothing has changed. They are fickle. They are inconsistent. They are capricious. And you are important as long as you're useful. And the minute you're not useful, you better, your future doesn't look bright. Every one of them. Nothing's changed. But that's not the king that Jesus is, and that's not the kingdom that Jesus offers. Do you know why? Do you know the main reason that it's different? All those kings, there was this main dude in this TV series called Utrid. Uh, U- 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 Utrid, yeah, Utrid. And uh, he was the best fighter in the whole, all of Europe. I am Utrid, <laughs> son of Utrid. <laughs> he said yeah, he it all the time. He was the best fighter in all of Europe. And so, every one of these kings, when they needed him, he was gold. But the minute they stopped needing him, he was trash. You know the great thing about King Jesus? He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. There is nothing that he's... Lo- oh, if Larry doesn't come through, he doesn't need me to come through. He doesn't need you to come through. Jesus, King Jesus offers to be my king. But He's not inviting me into His kingdom because of what I bring to the table. He set this glorious table and He's inviting me to just sit there with Him and enjoy His abundance. Colossians 1 says that God rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of His Son. Paul says that God's kingdom, God has called us to His kingdom and His glory. And he also says that we have gained an unshakable kingdom. He offers us a new covenant. He offers us a, a new high priest and a new sacrifice. Not a sacrifice that has to be offered repeatedly every time I do wrong. But a sacrifice he offers. one. Let me read that one to you in Hebrews 9. Paul says, Christ did not uh, continually enter a sanctuary built by men that was only a copy of the true sanctuary. Christ entered heaven itself to appear for us in the presence of God. And he appeared once to do away with sin permanently. And He offered Himself as a sacrifice for our sin. He offers us a new temple and a new priesthood. But the temple that He offers us and the priesthood He offers us is not something that He invites us to benefit from. He offers us this temple and this priesthood that's what He wants us to be. You're the temple. You're the temple of God. I'm the temple of God. And we are the priesthood. We're not only the, the building in which God in, uh, dwells and inhabits, but we're the priests that minister in that temple. And He's invited us to be those priests. First Peter 2 says that you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices That are acceptable to God. He offers us a new birth. What did Jesus say two or three times in John 3? You must be born again. You must experience a new birth. And along with that new birth. We've got new DNA. I've got the DNA of Jesus running in my body. Running in my blood. And if you know him as your savior. You do too. He offers us a new Birth. 1 Peter 1 says praise the Lord who has in mercy given us a new birth he's offered us a new heart Ezekiel 36 says I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will remove your heart of stone he offers to make us a new people and a new race Romans 9 says that I will now call them my people who were once not my people. That means very little to you and I, doesn't it? I bet it made a whole, I bet it meant a lot to Rahab. Rahab, your whole life you were called not my people, but today you are my people. I bet it meant a whole lot to Ruth. I bet it meant a whole lot to Naaman and the lady at the well and Cornelius and the Ethiopian eunuch. To be, for the message to be communicated to you your entire life, you are not one of us. And all of a sudden, somebody walks up to you and says, that's a lie. You are one of us. You're a part of the group. You're you're one of us. You're our people. He offers us a relationship with a new father. 2 Corinthians 6 says that I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and my daughters. I think Mephibosheth understood that. Mephibosheth had lost his dad, lost his status, lost his wealth. He'd lost everything. And he was living as an outcast, banished. All of a sudden he gets a phone call, if you will, from the king. And he said, hey, why don't you come and live in Jerusalem in my palace and be one of my kids? And I'll be your dad. I think he understood what it meant to be given a new father. He offers to give us a relationship with a new husband. Ephesians 5 and Ephesians, uh, 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 I'm sorry, Revelation 19, both talk about the fact that we have a new relationship with the Son of God. He is our husband and we are his bride. I think Abigail understood that. Remember that lady that was married to that rat? Think of a bum, uh, Naaman. He was such a jerk. He was a greedy, angry, selfish jerk. Some of you understand being married to somebody like that. You've been married to somebody like that maybe. Abigail understood that. But God in his mercy killed that jerk and let her be married to David. And I think she understood what it meant to be given a new opportunity to be married to a glorious husband who would love her with all of his heart. I think Gomer understood that. Remember the lady in the Bible? She was a prostitute. She'd spent her whole life giving her body to to jerks for money. She'd been abused and mistreated. And one day God sent a man to her and He said, That's not my plans for you. That's not the calling that I have upon your life. I don't want you to live that kind of life anymore. I've got a husband for you that will love you and serve you and bless you. That's what, I think that uh, Gomer understood that. We have a new family. Hebrews 10 says that we are now brothers and sisters in the family of God. Because of the blood of Jesus. We have a new name. One of my favorites. God offers us a new name. Revelation chapter 2 says, God says in Revelation 2, I will give him, him being someone that trusts in me, I will give him a white stone with a new name on it that is only known to him and me is that not a great that God has a name for Bobby and for Sherry and for Austin and for Karun God has a name for each one of us that is so personal so private so intimate that nobody knows that name but me and you but me and him me and god you and god and he he he's written it on a stone and one day he's going to give it to you his little pet name for you makes me think of uh if you see all these stories in the old testament that i nag you eternally to read that's where we understand what God's talking about. If you want to understand what it means to have a new name, think of Jacob. Jacob's entire life, he was, came out of the womb, deceiver, usurper, trickster. His whole life. Where's the, where's the usurper? Where's the trickster? Where's the deceiver? Here I am. And he was called it so much... Growing up, that he lived out, he fulfilled his name. And one day, God sent the angel of the Lord to him. That's not your name in my mind. That's not what I call you. That's not the name that I've written on your stone. <laughs> I don't see you as that person. That's not your name. And he changed his name to Israel. Champion with God. Champion with God. I don't know the name God has for you. But don't you know the rest of Jacob's life? That which had been, he'd been labeled with. Deservedly or not. Doesn't matter to God. You deserve that name or you don't deserve that name. That doesn't matter to me. God says... I've got a different name for you. Jacob's name was Champion. I don't know the name God has for me yet. You probably don't either. But he's got a name for you. He offers us a new name. A name that's not defined by our past. A name that's not defined by how successful we are or how pretty we are or how smart we are or how popular we are. He offers us a new calling which is really just the calling as I said earlier that God gave Adam and Eve I want to bless you and I want your life to be a life of multiplication and I want you to rule and reign with me first Peter 2 says that you're a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Real quickly, we got a new enemy. You understand that? We have a new enemy. When we become children of God, when we embrace these new things that God has offered us, one of the things that we have to embrace is that we have a new enemy. Because, you know, the devil doesn't really bother people as long as they're on his team. But when we accept God's gift of eternal life, do you understand part of that, what that means partly is we change teams. We change families. We change people groups. And the person who you... Remember, some of you, well, almost all of us have people that at one time... uh, We thought they were great, spoke to them as great, spoke about them as great. You let them bail out on the family, and now they're dirt. My grandmother, when my sister went through a divorce, my grandmother had pictures everywhere in our house. (laughs) When my sister got a divorce, we went back up to Finley to visit my grandmother the next time. She had literally taken scissors and cut this dude's head (laughs) Out of every picture, on, on every, in every portrait. So, so, there were thousands of pictures everywhere. And, and there was a hole in every one of them.
1: All these ten people standing here like this. And there's a hole right here. Yeah.
0: All, he was out. He was now the enemy. Now, I'm not saying that's right. But I'm telling you this. The devil hates you for changing teams. Paul says that he's, or Peter says that he's a roaring lion. And John calls him a dragon. And he wants to destroy us. And we need to recognize that. Therefore, we've been given new weapons. Romans 8 says that we are more than conquerors. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that we have been given the armor of God the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the girdle of truth, the shoes of the gospel, the preparation of peace. And we have the sword of the spirit in our right hand and the shield of faith in our left. By the way, I pray that armor on you. Literally, you by name every day. It's one of the things that I pray for for you is that I pray, I ask God to put His armor upon you. Those pieces of armor. And those are the pieces of the armor that we can stand against the enemy when he attacks us. David, I love that image when David was standing before Goliath and he said, uh, You come at me with sword and spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. And better than that, the Bible says that the Lord is fighting for us. He's fighting for Who's He fighting? He's fighting the one that hates us and wants to destroy us. We've been given a new journey, Philippians 1, therefore we do not quit, we are not alone on the journey. The Bible says that God is before us and behind us on this journey, and the Bible promises that we will finish the journey. We'll finish the journey. We have a new relationship with our, with, with our earthly enemies and with the poor. Part of what God has given us that's new is that now I don't see my enemies as somebody that I need to avoid. In fact, what I'm supposed to do is to move towards you rather than away from you. And I'm supposed to see you as one that I'm responsible to bless rather than harm. Same with the poor. You know, you pull up at the intersection and the dude's standing on the corner begging. What you, you, you're to, you know, you don't want to make eye contact, so you're you're avoiding it. God says, "No, no. Part of the calling that I've given you, part of this new call, is that I want you to move toward them, not away from them." A new view of suffering. Now, the suffering in my life is never by accident. It's never random. It's never wasted. And it always touches my life after it's gone through the hands of the one that holds me. We've been given new abilities and a new nature. Paul says that that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And he says in Galatians 5 that we've been given the fruit of the Spirit. And he's given us A new inheritance. 1 Peter 1 says that you have have an inheritance that will not perish, spoil, fade, that is kept for you in heaven. And that's what we'll talk about next week. This new inheritance that's waiting on us. I would just end today by reminding you of what Paul says in Ephesians 4. While God has given these new things to me and to you, they're available. But we have to access them. Paul says in Ephesians 4, you must put on your new self for you were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We've got to put them on. We've got to access them. We've got to understand what these new things are. And we've got to utilize them. I've got an iPhone. I don't know what number it is, but it's an iPhone. This is the truth. I know how to do about four things with this phone. I can answer it. I can send a text. I can send an email. And I can check the weather. Maybe I can do a couple of other things. That's about it. Never taking a picture. Don't do all. Now most of you would know what I don't. There are thousands of things that this phone will do for me. I don't. I don't know about those I can't tell you whether or not my life is less than because of my ignorance of what is being offered by the iPhone I can tell you with great confidence that our lives are lesser when we don't utilize and access the new things that God has made available to us they're great. They're great. It's good news. It is good news,
1: yes. isn't it? Anything you want to? Just remember that no matter what you've done or not done or feel that you've done poorly or whatever, um, that God doesn't take the scissors. And cut your face out of the group, no matter what. And that's good news.
0: That's very good news. I wanted to marry you because I thought you were good looking. And you were bright and funny. and um, Oh, I'm funny. Sometimes. Um, I enjoyed being with you what I didn't realize was that spending 41 years starting next next week. week, 41 years with you, all the things that were available to me and that I had access to, to make my life infinitely better. I didn't even know that you were bringing those to the table, but you did. And I have benefited greatly what a fool to have said to all those things, no thanks. You just keep those great things to yourself. No thanks. I'm glad I didn't do that. Tragically, how many times have I done that? Uh, and I didn't even probably realize I was doing it. But uh, God doesn't give up on us, does He? No, He does not. Yeah. Um, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Thank you, spouse. And um, I want us to do something a little different this morning. Uh, If if you don't want to, you can sit there like a lump. We we love lumpuses, okay? And so if you want to be a lumpus, you just be one and we're going to love you just like you were not a lumpus, okay? But if you choose today not to be a lumpus, um, once you've come up, and gotten your bread and wine, and gone back to your chair, why don't you approach or sit by somebody else, other than just you and your husband, or you and your kid, or you and your friend, uh, and three or four or five of you together, let's pray for those families in Texas, um, Yeah, I, I, I cannot identify. Um, I cannot identify. Um, but I know the Lord loves them and His grace is greater than their pain. And uh, pray for those families and pray for the people that make decisions in this country that they'll be wise. That they'll make decisions that are right and good and true and not based upon fear or manipulation or less than motives. That they'll make high road decisions based upon high road motives versus B team and low low road decisions based upon low road motives. So um, get a two or three people. To, uh, and those of you that know how to pray you be the one to initiate some being around some folks. And y'all just take a moment. You don't have to pray a long time. But just pray for the people in Texas and for our leaders that are making these decisions. Okay? You come if you'd like to. And eat and drink and remember and give thanks to the one who gave his life for your sin and for mine.